Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Well, welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. I'm Tony Moore, and today I have Michael Kiobasa, the president from Kiobasa Provision Company. Michael, welcome in today, sir. Thanks, Tony. Glad to be here. Appreciate well, you inviting me. I, you know, anytime I get a chance to talk to Texas, I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> leading the way in so many categories for us, and I listen. I remember this brand. I mean, I've. I'm a meat eater, um, and I'm very, very familiar with your brand. So I was really thrilled to to have you come down and talk to us all about your company, your brand, and you know what's made you guys remain relevant in such a highly competitive space. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for taking some time out with us today. Well, we're we're again we're thrilled to be here, and I look forward to the visit. So tell people more just about your brand and your mission. What is it that you're really trying to accomplish now? Uh, the, what the brand's what, 75? What, what's the? Yeah, 73 years old. 73. Me, yeah, so my grandfather started our company in 1949, and I never met him because he died before I was born. And my dad literally had to leave college to run the family business. Um, and then my dad did, grew it into into cattle and hog processing, which is a business that I actually grew up uh, working in, in in high school and college and summers and weekends and holidays and all that kind of stuff. So when I got when I graduated uh, from Southern Methodist University in 84, 
four, I really wanted to come back and work in the business, but my dad told me not to, to go, uh, to go work outside because he hadn't really had a chance. He never had a choice essentially. And so, um, so I worked in the banking industry for a couple of years because my degree was in finance and then came back in 1987, but really wanted to grow the sausage brand uh, part of our business. And so um, we've been around for a long time. Um, we, we've grown this brand from a truly a mom and pop uh, brand where you literally could only find it in little grocery stores in San Antonio. You couldn't even find it in any what we call chain stores or retail locations now, um, to now being in all 50 states. Uh, so it's been a pretty remarkable journey um, over those 35 years. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, about 12 years ago, I started to really focus on the culture of our company. We had grown to be, at, I'm going to call it statewide distribution. So we sold basically in Texas. Uh, to to club and retail uh, locations, but I uh, I uh, I sensed that um, I could be a better leader personally for the company, and uh, and and so I we 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 worked on this a little bit, and I went to my HR person at the time, and I said, look, I I think the culture could be better. Let's work on. Let's see if we can find a a leadership program that we could help. Uh, really get us through, help us build a culture. And so we, we, we discovered something called values-based leadership, which is a Ken Blanchard model that he developed in the, in the late 1980s. And uh, fortunately, one of the early adopters of that leadership program was a company called Holt Development, which is based in San Antonio. So we adopted values-based leadership. We spent about six months identifying really what our purpose as a company was and what our values were. And it took us six months because I didn't want this coming from me or my family. I wanted it coming from all of our team members. We had about, I'm going to say 80 employees at the time. And so uh, we, 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 we decided that our purpose for being in, you know, our purpose as a company was to enrich lives and we were going to do that by creating a, an empowering workplace for our team members and safe environment. We were going to uh, create memorable eating experiences for our, our consumers. We were going to uh, deliver legendary customer service. And we were going to be uh, actively involved in all the communities that we serve. And then we identified our, our, uh, our values of transparency, ownership, teamwork and continuous improvement. And really, Tony, this became our Bible, if you will. And I told everybody in the organization, this is all you really need to know. You can make a $100,000 mistake. And if you're in line with our purpose and our teamwork I mean, and our core values, you're safe. You can make a $100 mistake. And if you're out of line with this, you're out of here. And that gave enormous clarity to everybody in our organization over what is important. Um, and then we started teaching the, the, the values-based leadership tools of DISC, situational leadership, conflict resolution, influencing, and principles of persuasion to everyone in our organization. We taught it in English and Spanish. We taught it to literally the guy sweeping the floor all the way to the, you know, the, the chief financial officer and the senior team. 
And that was the first time many people in our organization had ever been exposed to training and they soaked it up. And so we created essentially a, a really safe environment where people felt empowered to take risk, fail fast and lean into discomfort. And, and a year later, we, we brought in something called uh, a program called the Great Game of Business, which is an open book operating system to teach the financial side of our business. And the transparency of opening up the books and the vulnerability, quite frankly, that it took. To That's open what up I want to hear more about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to talk to us about that. Yeah. I want to understand. People don't get to see what other people earn, what the company makes, where they spend in their community. Yeah. And so we don't necessarily, you know, expose individual salaries, but we do expose total salaries. And um, and they got to see what was what was, uh, you know, in the on the, you know, going to the bottom line, so to speak. But the transparency and the vulnerability of that just magnified the trust in the organization, which unleashed creativity. Um, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done, because when I opened up the books, our top line was growing very rapidly. We were probably growing about 20% a year, 25% a year, but our bottom line was going in the opposite direction. And because all of the systems and processes that we had in place weren't equipped to take, to handle that kind of growth. And it was like on the outside, we looked like a, we looked like a Ferrari. And on the inside, we felt like a broken down Volkswagen. I mean, it was, it was, uh, and we had some real, real issues, but, and I thought quite frankly, that all of the talent that I was bringing in, um, at the time to help us grow was going to head to the, head to the door. And, and, and those that stuck around were going to be paralyzed by fear because they were going to see the bottom line. All they felt was the top line and they were going to see the bottom line for the first time. But Tony, just the opposite happened immediately people started to talk about ways to save money, to improve yields, improve processes. I see. It was amazing. That's where the creativity came in because they felt like you were giving them permission to help you solve the biggest challenges that your company was facing. That's exactly right. And I will tell you, after that first meeting where I got the, the, the first group of managers in and I opened up the books and I exposed um, what we were really doing financially, um, and their response, it was like the weight of the world came off my shoulders and went, and they, they grabbed it. They just said, we've got this, Michael, and you help. I went from being the boss, if you will, and the owner to being a coach and really teaching our yes. team. That serving leadership model where now you're yes. helping them, they're helping yes. theirs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a very successful model, but I've not heard of this one, the great game of business methodology. Are there any other kind of nuances in there that kind of layered in with this uh, transparency that unleashed the creativity? Yeah. So if you think about it, so, so it's based on a book written by a guy named Jack Stack and um, it's called the great game of business. You can find it on Amazon. It's been around since the 1980s and Jack has got a tremendous story where he was a mid-level manager at a international harvester uh, division that was going to be sold. 
And he went to his ownership, or excuse me, went to his managers and said, hey, you know, um, I'd like to buy this uh, company. And he and they said, well, that's great, Jack. You could you can buy this company. It's nine million dollars. You know, if you want to buy it. And here's a guy that, you know, is a <laughs> he he doesn't have nine million dollars. So he scraped together a hundred grand and leveraged the company eighty nine to one in <laughs> nineteen eighty when interest rates were eighteen percent. Right. He couldn't make a ten thousand dollar mistake. People think five percent now is a lot. That's right, exactly. And so it's a great story. It's a great book. Uh, anyway, he he wasn't a financial guy. He just was very honest with everybody in the organization about what they needed to do. And cash was important to the life of the company at that point. And so uh, it's a great story. And I recommend the book. It's a fantastic book. It's a fantastic operating system. And um, it's helped to transform our business. I, I tell people that um, when I started working on the cultural side of our business, it ignited the growth of our company. We are, we are now about five or six times the size that we were 10 years ago when we launched uh, the business. We went from being mainly selling in Texas to being sold in all 50 states now. That's not because of any kind of grand strategy that I had. It's all because of the culture of the business. You know, I don't think people maybe connect the dots enough. I mean, I don't know if people kind of poo-poo, oh, you know, culture, but you have a great quote, right, from Drucker. What is that? Yeah, so so Peter Drucker famously said that culture eats strategy for breakfast, or maybe he said for lunch. I can't remember, but... Uh, well, listen, sausages for breakfast and lunch and dinner. What? Yeah, so, that's right. That's right. Anytime. Uh, yeah. And and it's it's so true because culture drives execution. Um, and if you and, and in our business, what we've done is we scaled a business that is very much focused on creating a craft product. And we still make our product in 150 pound batches. So oh, that's most, small batch. Yeah, most companies our size are making 3,000 pound batches or 5,000 pound batches. We are, we are handcrafting the product the same way my grandfather and my dad did it. And the only reason we're able to do that, the only reason we were able to scale that is because of the culture and understanding exactly why we exist and how we're going to operate our purpose and our family values. And it is simple, but it's hard to execute. Uh, I'll never forget a, a good friend of mine when um, when uh, when when I, I I asked him. He's now a good friend of mine. I didn't know who he was when I when I called him up the first time, but I I'd gotten his name because he was a reference on values based leadership, and I wanted to find out about values based leadership from somebody who had actually implemented it. And his name's Charlie Luck, and he's he's got a company on uh, based out of Richmond, Virginia. And for the first thirty minutes of my conversation with him. Tony, he uh, he basically grilled me on how committed I was to values-based leadership. And finally, I stopped him and I said, hey, Charlie, I just want to find out where the landmines are on this. You know, I just want to develop, a, have a leadership program for my team. And he said, Michael, if you decide that you want to uh, bring in values-based leadership to your organization, it will be the hardest thing you ever do. 
I said, why? Explain this. I, we need to understand this more because it kind of sounds like you were approaching it like a businessman yes. would. Yes. This is a tool. We're just going to. We're just going to add you in. You're just going to add this tool to our toolkit. He's saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the soul of your company is going to change. Is that? That is exactly right. He said, he said, this will be the hardest thing you ever do. And I said, why? And he said, values-based leadership isn't about fixing others. It's about fixing yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh God, why did I call this guy? I, I said, just call it a shrink, but no, I mean. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> it's my leadership that needs to change. It's my leadership that's, that's, that's creating the dysfunction. And so he's absolutely right, by the way. Uh, this is not for the faint of heart. This, yeah, it sounds you, like the transparency also relates to you. Yes, yes. Not yes. just the books. Yes, and when you think about vulnerability and being open and uh, it is it is the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's also the best business decision I've ever made. I'd be kind of curious to know what it was like before that. And I've, I've had people come on and they have said, you know, within vulnerability, there's power. Yes. I did not know what that meant. And I've really kind of struggled with that kind of off and on now. Well, one of my favorite quotes about vulnerability is when we think about vulnerability, and I'm, let me just say this, I am plagiarizing all of this from probably the best vulnerability expert that was ever, that I've ever read or, or listened to, which is Brene Brown. And she wrote a great book called Daring Greatly. Um, about the power of vulnerability um, to lead um, organizations. And, um, and she says vulnerability, when we hear the word vulnerability, we think weakness. But when we see vulnerability in somebody, see someone being vulnerable, we see courage. It did take courage for you to show the company and show senior management the difference yep. between well, the senior management probably already saw, but the, everyone to see from top line to bottom line, because in a lot of ways you have expectations. You think they look at you a certain way and they're expecting certain results from you. And it's like, it's a reflection of you. That's right. That's right. Our self-worth is so tied up into yes. our results. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you really have, I, I had no idea that this was going to open up like this for this conversation because you know, I approach understanding brands, trying to understand what makes them different, better, and special. And a lot of times it's, well, this is our retail strategy. Well, this is our, you know, our, this is how we work with our distribution partners. And here's how we're managing store locator, you know, e-com platforms. You're like, no, 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 no. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, that yes. All, that all flows. Right. That all flows more naturally. And more sustainably, if you've got the culture behind it. Let me give you an example. When you when you create a culture, so well, let me just be honest with you. So I don't believe there's another great book here. Okay, <laughs> Simon Sinek wrote what I believe is to be the best marketing book ever, and it's called Start with Why. 
Yes. And I don't believe, and I, I subscribe to his, his theory that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And so I want our brand to be as well known for why we exist as I do for the products we make. The products we make are simply an outcome of why we exist. So how is that being messaged? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's I mean, to the consumer. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's a, that's a great question. And we work on that every day. Um, we probably don't do as good a job, honestly, messaging I mean, it's gotta that be right hard, now. Right. I mean, you only have so much space yeah. on the physical product, but of course right. you've got marketing campaigns, et cetera. You can right. do we, uh, we are working on, uh, so during the pandemic and our company going back to my grandfather and my father, um, has a in part of our DNA is just giving back to the community. My grandfather did it. It started when he was during the world war two, when he was, uh, he couldn't serve, um, in the army because of a, uh, of a health issue, but he was a, what's called a jobber and he would deliver meat all throughout South Texas. And he saw the, the suffering and the, uh, that was going on because of the shortage of meat. So he always had this, this, uh, big heart to give back and to give product away. So that's carried on in our business. And we, over the years, we just would give away a third of whatever, a nonprofit would come and ask us, say we're doing a fundraiser or someone was raising money for their church or their school or whatever, we would just give a third away. Well, when the pandemic hit, all of those things stopped. No one was doing fundraisers. They were all, you know, no one could get together. And I went to my cousin who was leading our, what we call community enrichment at the time. And I said, look, we got to do something. We're, you know, no one's, no one's come to us asking us for product anymore, but there's all this great need out there. And we see food insecurity becoming a bigger and bigger deal out there in the world. And so let's put, let's create a program to address food insecurity. And so we came up with this program called Links of Love, where we, we actually make we, 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 we formulated and make it, make a very high quality product, a sausage, uh, fully cooked that we distribute to food banks throughout the country. We make 10,000 pounds a month and we're looking to increase that because food insecurity is getting worse, not better with this inflation, uh, that we're going under right. right now. That's right. And, um, this is something that our team loves to do. This is something that our, our, you know, it's just part, it just is why we exist, Tony. And, um, uh, we need to do a better job of getting that, that word out if, um, but we're also, I think another one of our kind of part of our DNA is we're pretty humble and we, we don't want to tout our own horn a lot about this is we're not doing this to, you right, know, right. Yeah, as a ploy, as a marketing ploy. Exactly. You kind of, it is kind of a fine line, isn't it? Right. Like if you, if you promote it too much, then, oh, is this a gimmick? Um, I think if anything, the people who are receiving the food banks, the people who are truly in need, they know that they're receiving a blessing from people and organization that care. The people that work there, they know. Yeah. Right. And yeah, yeah, I guess there probably are some, 
creative ways you can, you know, put something on your package. But I think that it's kind of a catchy little phrase, links of love. Yeah. 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 That's kind of yeah. like, you yeah, sit the, right to the point of it. And, and the other, the other element around your, the culture really driving performance is, and, and, and the brand is, I know so many of us are, are struggling with, uh, you know, uh, finding enough people to work um, in this environment. I'm glad you're uh, bringing this up. So, yeah. But, um, you know, a strong culture creates a loyal workforce and uh, people who like where they work and enjoy where they work and feel respected and empowered where they work aren't going to leave you for, you know, a couple bucks an hour more. And, and it's, it, we've been named a top workplace in San Antonio for seven straight years. And I, I consider that one of the most important metrics of our success as any, as, as anything else. Um, when your team is, is engaged and empowered and fulfilled, you have, uh, it's easier to attract and retain team, team members, work, you know, people, employees. I'm still trying to process the whole start with why, you know, your why has to be big enough. And that's a message that everyone really needs to kind of push out to their teams. If, if you're going to get anyone to engage on something, you really have to get them to stop and, and ask themselves, why are they doing this? Why are they here? And I think what I'm really hearing you saying is that you, you are starting at the top. You're showing them this is how I'm going to operate. And eventually that does kind of trickle all the way down and they discover their why. Yes. Oh, you just nailed it, Tony. I mean, when you, when, when, when you understand your own why, <laughs> then you can, you, you, you very quickly understand if you're working for the right company, if your why is aligned, it's all about alignment. It's all about alignment. Yeah, this um, <clears throat> this has just been a great philosophical, if you will, conversation on how to. In your case, I don't. I don't even really want to say keep your brand relevant. I was kind of going into this thinking I don't think so. I think this is uh, bigger than that. I'll have to find a new way to talk about this because this is not. Well, I think relevant. we want to be. Yeah, if I think I think we want to be more than relevant. We want to be inspiring. We want to inspire people. That's a big word, you know, but, but when you think about when you, when you, when you have a purpose as big as we exist to enrich lives, that's a big, that's a big statement. It's you, you know, as a leader, I've got to, I've got not just to lead that I've got to, I've got to live that. Well, I think, I think given the fact that you, as you said, you've grown whatever, three to five X in the last 10 years, I think this is proof in the pudding that focusing on culture is the way to unleash that creativity, let people solve the problems that they are part of. And when they have a why, more than just I'm here to make money, that really inspires and brings the best out of people. You know, I can't, you can't ask me, you can't say, Tony, I need you to come up with an inspired solution to this. 
it can't be forced, right? Yeah, you have to like right. unlock that. That's what you've done. You've basically unlocked. You've given everyone the permission to be unlocked. Yes. And yes. and now that's what will drive the creativity behind wherever you are in your channels. And I'm, I'm curious. So the distributors and the people that, that you have been working with all along, have they noticed a change? Has any of your partners kind of come to you on the side and said, <laughs> what's different? I noticed something going on around here, man. We're, we're shipping a heck of a lot more links. Has anyone come knocking like to try to figure it out? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, those that have come and toured our, our plant are just amazed by the level of engagement from our team members. We just had a group of four buyers from a large retailer uh, come in, and this was the first time they had toured our, our facility and the first time that that um, that they had really ever, I, first time I had met them, they were all very new to their their uh, uh, their role. And they walked out and they were like, wow, we just need to tell more of your story. <laughs> right. I mean, we are, we need our, we need our customers to know more about you because this is such a cool company and you're, you know, they just have never seen, they, they said, we've been on, We've been on hundreds of plant tours. We've never seen a company like yours. We've never seen the level of engagement from your from uh, from people on the floor as we do with your company. Well, and so what I'm going to have to do now is next time I go into the retail, uh, I'm going to you know I know where your products are located, and, and we are we buy. I mean, we we like I said, this is our you know part of our food uh, kind of food cycle, but be kind of interesting to kind of look at your packaging to see what you're doing with that. I haven't, wasn't really paying attention to that now. And to your point, you can't say it too much. Otherwise it does look a little um, self, wow, too self-promoting. So um, listen, it's a great journey and I'm, I'm really glad you were able to come down and share with us. This went into a completely different direction than I thought we were going to go in today. And I'm so (laughs) glad I'm so glad that you took over and said, no, no, Tony, we're not going to go down this other area. That's boring. Let's get into the meat of it. No pun intended. Yeah. 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 I I am curious. Um, Just a kind of a a side note. Do you guys uh, own your own farms or do you partner with farmers? You know, we, we're, we don't, um, we don't own any of our own uh, farms or anything like that. We're not vertically integrated. We, we, um, we do have a very robust uh, supply chain team uh, that does a great job of sourcing uh, our products um, from you know, people who are responsible in what they do. Um, and um, it's a big part of our, of our long-term strategy to even, even make that a bigger part of our, our story. One of the things that's interesting, and I'm going to, come back to our values thing. But one of the things that we did early on in our uh, journey is, you know, really when you we introduced values-based leadership, it started to change the whole way we think. So for instance, it changed the way we hire people. We went from hiring people based off of their technical skills to basing off of values alignment, adaptability, learning aptitude, and then technical skills. 
We started looking at our customers and our suppliers through the lens of our values and asking ourselves, do they align? And some of them didn't, and we had to make choices. And so when you, when you adopt this kind of uh, mindset around your, your purpose and your values, it really spills over not just into what you're doing internally, but what you're doing externally. Because we found that conversations with suppliers and customers are much easier when there's an alignment of values. When there's a misalignment of values is when you really have challenges. And so it's a, it's wow. a, it's I think a that's resonating deal. with everyone right now. Who's had to negotiate a contract with somebody. Sure. Yeah. And you just feel like it's completely one-sided. They don't care at all about what you're trying to accomplish. And maybe this is how I'm, this is what I'm reading. If you've got this alignment with another partner or another distributor, whoever it is that you're working with, and they know what you're doing. Yes. They understand that, look, these, you're, 10,000 pounds a month. I mean, people need to process that. They need to think through that. That is a lot of giving. And if you're looking to expand that, so during that contract negotiation, you might say that maybe they they understand, you know, the point of view that you're coming at. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, this is fair because we understand what you're doing to the community, for the community. Right. Am I tracking with you? Is that, is yeah, that absolutely kind of 100%, 100%. And it's not rocket science, right? I mean, if you think about any relationship you're in, when your values align, you're successful in that relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friend, you don't hang around people that you aren't somewhat aligned in values. Right. And so, uh, but it doesn't always happen on the business side, though. And that's exactly, and that's where you're really shedding, shining a light, and saying you need to put, you know, you need to spend more time, really vetting and sussing out. It it, it, it is absolutely the case, and we had we had suppliers that did not align with our values. You think about the food business, and how important your supplier network is to your quality. I mean, how many food recalls have been caused by a supplier issue, not your issue, but a supplier had an issue that you didn't have visibility to. They have a recall, so you have a recall. Well, guess what? That's going to be a black eye for you. especially if you're the one selling it into retail. Right. Um, So it's very important that your, your supplier network in the food business has got the same standards of quality that you have in terms of an importance of quality. When you say you're going to, you know, uh, enrich lives by creating memorable eating experiences, your, your supplier network better have the same, <laughs> same values alignment. Otherwise you're going to have, you're going to have challenges. Does that make well, sense? It, it, it totally does. And I, I was just going to go back to, as we kind of wrap up, I just wanted to go back to the fact that you're hiring for alignment. I think that is an area where companies make huge mistakes. It's a huge financial mistake to hire anyone, anyone who's had to run payroll, who understands, 
it's not just salary. It's salary. It's like 1.3 or whatever you want to associate burden to that headcount. And the higher they are in the organization, it's two, three, four X of salary. In, right. And not to mention the destruction of culture. Right. So it's, you can't really put a, uh, you can't put a price on it. You cannot put a price tag on it. You can't. Do you got, so as, I mean, I'm just curious, do you use any third party assessments or management uh, support to make decisions for your key hires? Uh, we used a, uh, we loosely used uh, this, this program called Top Grading, which is, is another book. Top Grading. Yeah. 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 Top grading is is our is kind of our hiring tool, I see. Um, and and so it it speaks to values alignment as being a great indicator of whether the product the, the you know the, the t- potential hire is going to be a fit. Yeah, I'll have um, to link that one as well because I know some other folks that use top grading as their yes. philosophy of interview. Yeah. It's an interview style, how you go yes. through and pull all the information out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So top grading is what you use. What about um, any kind of like uh, assessments? Do you use any loose personality type assessments to kind of suss people out? Well, we do. We use this. Uh, obviously, I talked about it a little bit earlier. We use DISC. Um, oh, you did mention DISC. Yeah. And, and so we'll, we, will, we, will, we will use that assessment to uh, kind of find out, you know, what their personality profile is. Uh, because if you're hiring for a particular position, let's call it QA, you want someone that's got a, an eye for detail, right? You don't want a, a sales guy like me to. Or I me. would be a bad QA person. Oh my god! <laughs> How could you let that go out the door? Right. I just know whether it tastes good or not. <laughs> we all have our role. That's right. We all have our role. Yeah, we um, we like Clifton Strengths Finder. Yes. Yeah, it's great. It's a big, I mean, there are so many out there. That uh, are, there. There are. But when you mentioned adaptability, I thought, ooh, yeah. that's my third one. Yeah. Adaptability. So, yeah. Um, man, there's just so much here to unpack. So much. Um, well, okay. So what's the best way for people to find you guys, you know, online? I, obviously, you're in uh, grocery, but like online, what's the best yeah. way to find you guys? Yeah, so you can go to our website, uh, kielbasa.com, and click on the store locator, and it, it'll populate the store closest to you that you can find our product in. We sell both in club and in retail, so uh, we don't we don't really do much online if, in terms of you know shipping direct. Um, so best best choice is to is to find a retailer near you and and uh, hopefully you'll find one you know within within pretty decent distance yeah well i looked at the map here you've got great coverage is uh, is food service uh, a, a future play you know it's not currently uh, in our in our in our sites um i feel like uh, that's a that's almost a different business model if you will oh it than, is than uh than than what we it's do the wild we, west yeah it's we do literally the wild west well, and, and the people in food service think retail, selling to retail is a wild west. <laughs> Believe me. So, it's like it's, a left brain, right brain yeah, a, yeah, model I, and review systems. It's different. I completely agree with you, Tony. So we have no plans to really, really dive into that at this point. Um, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of room to grow um, where we are. So we're excited about the future. Oh, that's great. That's great. Michael. 
I uh, I just have to say this was this was great. I'm gonna probably listen to this episode a couple of times just to kind of absorb it all and uh, have to kind of check out these books. Thank you so much for for coming in and just opening up the way you did, you know, and and sharing. I mean, you're 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 living it, if you will, <laughs> here with us on on the Winning at Work podcast. Well, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity, Tony, and and thank you so much for listening. I can. I can talk a cat off a fish wagon if you let me, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just found my new favorite expression. Oh, you saved that to the end. You should have opened with that. I mean, come on. That, that's why people are here. They want the uh, they want the entertainment. All right. Uh, all right. Great. Thank you so much. And we'll we'll check in with you guys again to see how uh, how we're doing. Okay. Thank you, Tony.